Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome back to Full Body Frequency. So the holidays have passed, or have they? I don't think so. There are still plenty of opportunities to dress up, show up, and show out. After all, Valentine's Day is just around the corner. To help us get ready to be babelicious, fashion industry veteran and stylist Stephanie Allen of Stephanie Allen LLC is here. You've seen Stephanie's work in Plus Model Magazine, at Full Figured Fashion Week, and at Mercedes-Benz New York Fashion Week. Later in the show, award-winning actress and critically acclaimed author and dramatist, Karen Chilton joins me to talk about her powerful new play, Switch. In Switch, two estranged friends, both prominent psychiatrists, meet unexpectedly in a therapy session. They are forced to face the guilt and sadness surrounding a mutual friend's recent suicide, as well as the uncomfortable complexities of their own relationship. This 10-minute theatrical feast is featured as a part of New York City's highly anticipated The Fire This Time Festival, which runs January 16th through February 5th in New York City. Get your tickets now. After this quick break, Full Body Frequency returns with stylist to the designers, Stephanie Allen. Frequency is back with Stephanie Allen, fashion and wardrobe stylist. Stephanie knew early on that she was destined for a career in fashion. Her grandfather, Benjamin Allen, an exceptional tailor, was her initial source of inspiration. Wanting to stand out from the crowd in school, Stephanie made her own clothes and ultimately created her own distinct fashion style and voice. In 1995, she began a 14-year career with the luxury design house Manolo Blahnik. Starting off as an assistant in shipping and receiving, she was quickly promoted to manager of production and distribution. In 2009, she left Manolo Blahnik to establish her own business and has worked in designer showrooms, studios, and production throughout the fashion industry. Today, Stephanie Allen provides personal style coaching and fashion styling, in addition to writing columns focused on plus, curvy, and voluptuous women. Stephanie's mission is to empower women of all sizes to change their perception of themselves and enable them to tap into their inner selves through wardrobes and accessories. Stephanie Allen, welcome to Full Body Frequency. Thank you so much. 
Now, mm-hmm. before we get to your top style tips, let's talk a bit about your background. You okay. offer a range of style options from editorial to special event styling, including weddings. And you've worked with Plus Model Magazine, Full yeah. Figured Fashion Week, Monique C. and Ashley Stewart. Your work was seen on the Nate Berkus show and on Nouveau TV's Curvy Girls. And then there's the work with singer-songwriter Roger Laurie and plus-size icon and vlogger Shanda Freeman. But yeah. how did you begin? What's your style story? Okay, so basically fashion and design and clothing and wardrobe is just kind of in my DNA. As my grandfather was a tailor, so I would, like, learn and, like, watch him tailor pieces. Suit. He did mostly men's pieces, but, you know, just watching him, his craftsmanship. My grandmother used to dress. My mother used to dress. And I would, like, always admire how they would put themselves together. And I started sewing at a very young age. And because I wanted to be different, I wanted to stand out. I didn't want to look like anyone else. So I would make patterns from newspaper or paper bags, anything I could find to kind of recreate items and pieces that I saw in magazines. This was always kind of like the curiosity overtook me, just wanted to be different. I'm like, well, how do you put this together? How do we make this? And how can I make it look different than even how it looks in the magazine? So that's always been sort of like in my blood. And fast forward, made clothes in high school. I made my prom dress. I would never wear that prom dress right now, but I feel like it was still my own design. And I didn't, again, didn't want to look like anyone else. And I always had a desire to, you know, move to New York and become a designer. And that didn't happen because New York is, oh, everybody wants to be a designer or everybody wanted to be a designer back in the 90s. So I just kind of had to figure out, you know, how to navigate the fashion industry, make a contribution, get paid for my work even though I wasn't being a designer. You were at Monolo Blahnik for about 14 years, and that's like 500 years, dog years in the fashion industry. Nobody stays that long. And I mean, to be honest with you, there was just, there was something about the brand because it was very special, to me more special than it is now. And, Mm. you know, it was just like a longevity thing. And I I felt committed and I felt very close to the company because it was a very small company at the time. They were like, 10, 12 of us running the business in the whole United States. It wasn't like I was a number there. I was actually, you know, on a first-name basis with Manolo and my bosses and everything, so it wasn't that sort of environment. But I thought I would go down with the building. But over time, when it's time to break up in a relationship, it was kind of time for Manolo and I to break up. And in that breakup, I had the opportunity to recreate myself and reinvent myself as a stylist. And again, went back to school, got the education to learn different body types and shapes and how to dress more other shapes than my own. And then I just kind of took off from there. It was, it was something that was new for me. I never really had a desire to be a stylist. It was just actually the inspiration of my husband watching me, how I dress, and then my infatuation with the fashion industry. And he's like, well, why don't you do that? Why don't you do styling for curvy women like yourself? And so, like I said, I went back to school and just tried to educate myself. And that's kind of how it all happened. Wow, he's a smart man. He saw he's vision. Very smart he had man. vision. Yes, he did. He did see vision. <laughs> I'm Laura Rice, and you're listening to Full Body Frequency. My guest this segment is fashion stylist Stephanie Allen. She's worked with Ashley Stewart, Always For Me, and Monique C. And today we're talking winter 2017 style tips and tricks. But before we focus a little on Valentine's Day style, Stephanie, if you were stranded on a desert island for a month, besides underwear, what's the one item of clothing that you would wear every day? The one item of clothing that I would wear every day would probably be a maxi dress, maxi skirt, something long and flowy. Get those island breezes flowing. Yes, honey. <laughs> so now you're off the desert island and you're back on the island of Manhattan and across the bridge in Brooklyn. Describe mm-hmm. your personal style in three words. Edgy, classic, and a little bohemian. If full body frequency listeners and I were to raid and shop your closet, what would we find and what brands would we find? Oh, boy. Um, You'd find a lot of black clothing because that's just kind of how we do in New York and most fashion people wear black and that's usually the uniform, you know, on set or behind stage or whatever. 
So a lot of black. You would find some color. Definitely see some brands that are familiar to the plus industry, Lane Bryant, Ashley Stewart. Then also some unique brands to the industry, Karma Coma, Eloquy, Torrid, Fashion to Figure, Rachel Roy. So I have a nice mix of brands. I'm not really brand loyal, if that's a thing, but I like to mix and match high-end and even some Forever 21, some H&M. Like I have a little fast fashion in there just for basic, but I have a nice mix. Sounds like, though, you've you've got brands, but you're not branded. No, no. I, I, it, the world is too big and fashion is too big to just be limited to just one brand. The beauty is that the plus fashion industry is changing and expanding, you know, leaps and bounds. So there are more offerings. That is a wonderful opportunity to continue to build your wardrobe. You know, I also have some pieces that I've made for myself because I couldn't find it in the stores. Again, that creative edge and wanting to stand out and be different, it gives me an opportunity to make something that's just for me. Let's talk accessories. Accessories oh, or no accessories? Loads of accessories. Yes, pile them <laughs> on. <laughs> the more the merrier. <laughs> so what's your favorite accessory of this season? Oh, wow. That's a hard one. Because I always don't have bangles on or rings. I would probably say the choker is a big trend right now. I kind of have my own mix on it. I have a nice silver, like hard silver one that I wear. A lot of, you know, girls are wearing the velvet or lace or some sort of, um, you know, other fabric as a choker. I like to kind of edge it up. So mine is a sterling uh, silver choker. (laughs) Nice. Very nice. You tend to keep your makeup, your nails, and your hair beautiful, natural, and minimal. Why is that? Mm -hmm. First of all, I'm always hot. I'm a woman of a certain age, so I'm always hot. And I don't possess the skill set to really apply makeup well on a daily basis. I mean, I think I could do it if I really spent the time and dedicated the time to it. But because I wear sometimes ornate jewelry or a lot of accessories, I want to keep something about my presence a little minimized. So that's why I keep my makeup sort of clean, natural. You know, I'm always going to have a brow. I'm always going to have lashes. Like, that's just a given. And just a little blush and a bold lip, you know, red or deep plum or purple or something like that. That's how you would see me, like, on a pretty much on, a, on an everyday basis. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Full Body Frequency, and I'm Laura Rice. My guest is New York City-based Stephanie Allen, plus-size brand and fashion stylist. After this quick break, we'll be right back to talk, you guessed it, top winter 2017 special occasion style and fashion tips. So get your pen and paper ready. Full Body Frequency, we'll be right back. In 50 feet, turn left. Why are you driving so slowly? After a few drinks, I'm taking it slow. Well, you're not fooling the cop behind you. What? Get ready to pay in point one miles. <sighs> Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Happy pre-Valentine's Day and welcome back to Full Body Frequency. I'm Laura Rice and my guest this segment is fashion and wardrobe stylist Stephanie Allen. Her work has appeared on the runways of Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week and Full Figured Fashion Week. And today she's here to share her top Winter 2017, special occasions, style, and fashion tips. What are some of the myths around dressing the plus-size body that you just want to blow out of the water? That we can't wear stripes, that we can't wear prints, that we can't do bold colors or bodycon and fitted dresses. And a lot of people assume that plus-size women want to hide their bodies, and that's really not the case. My objective and my goal is just to make women look and feel their best, no matter what they're wearing. If you like a looser fit, then just make sure it's it's the right size and that it's tailored to fit your body. And if you like a more bodycon type of dress, to me, I just like smooth lines. So I'm going to need you to have a little shapewear on, have something just to keep all the lines clean and smooth. And I mean, you know, be bold and be confident in anything that you wear. So I feel like there's no need for us to hide. I mean, we're here. We're not going anywhere. 
and we're not all supposed to be the same size anyway, so there's no need to to feel ashamed and have to hide your body behind oversized clothing and big tents and stuff. Get that out of here. Okay. (laughs) Besides shapewear and form-fitting clothes and self-confidence, what are your style rules? I don't typically have style rules. My thing is fit, just fit. No matter what it is that you're wearing, make sure that the I don't like to see tugging and pulling and things like that because it makes me look uncomfortable and it makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> so, mm. I mean, I just... <laughs> Watching I just the person being uncomfortable yeah, makes you like, what's, feel uncomfortable. Yeah like, yeah, like, what's wrong? Like, let's fix it. What's the problem? Like, that yeah. Sort of thing. yeah. Don't be limited by the size. Like, if the number bothers you, cut out the tag. You have to go up a size just so, you know, for it to fit better. And because when plus-size women are shaped, uh, we come in all different shapes and sizes, right? So not everything that we pick up off the rack is going to necessarily fit our bodies right off the rack. So you might have to fine-tune it and tweak it by taking it to a tailor or an extra seam up the back so there's no gapping. So fit is like the number one thing for me. If I had a rule, that is the rule. Just make sure it fits properly. That would be the only rule that I think that I would have. That's great advice. What are the top five holiday clothing trends? Well, there's a lot of bling bling going on or sequins. I see definitely, and and not just black sequin either. Like I'm seeing seeing blush colors. I'm seeing red. More vibrant colors are definitely going to take over the season. Velvet is making a comeback. More of like a luxurious feel. I think lace, I think that's like a, a steady trend definitely more sheer lace so that you can kind of see through and get a little peekaboo from the skin. Um, metallics always, you know, gold and silver, uh, bronze and gunmetal gun are definitely big trends. And um, jewel tones for sure. Um, more vibrant colors, you know, even magenta. In addition to the reds, and you might even see some violet and purple. How are brands presenting these fabrics, these textures and colors, and how can we rock them successfully? It's about your personal taste, I feel. Like, if you're a conservative person, like, I don't, I wouldn't expect you to come out in a red sequin gown, like, because it just, unless you're just trying to make a different statement, I don't know. I would just encourage people to really dress based on your personality and the mood that you're feeling. Like, I had a client today say that she's going to a party and she's wearing black and white nothing red so it's kind of like what your personality is and how you want to represent yourself to the world Mm. is she gonna rock a red lip do you think she might she might (laughs) she might keep (laughs) expensive with a red lip okay now for those of us who rock little black dresses on a regular basis how Mm -hmm. do they rate this season i think it's always a staple i don't think the little black dress is going anywhere and that's a godsend for me because, like I said, I wear black all the time. But my thought would be maybe a midi length if you normally wear a shorter length. So maybe play with the various silhouettes, maybe a more ornate neckline versus just a simple neckline, maybe something with sleeves or without sleeves, or mix up textures so that it's not just a simple dress all the time. But there's nothing wrong with playing with variety and adding in something unique, like adding textures or lace over something else or something just to add a little more edge and maybe even a little more elegance to it. Well, I like to do a little mixture of high and low. I love to wear a crop denim jacket and sequins, and it could be a sequin skirt or top or even Mm -hmm. pants. So Mm -hmm. what are your top tips for incorporating denim into chic dressing? exactly how you just said it like I love that I could visualize it as soon as you said it I was like oh my god I love it but you know if you don't if crop jackets aren't your thing you could do a dark denim pant or skirt or something like that and then put the the sequin on top or have the metallic on top so there's ways that you can do it so it's not always a casual feel just you can definitely dress it up with your accessories put it on a pump Instead of wearing like a lower, me personally speaking, I don't wear heels, but there's always ways that you can elevate denim by adding that extra shine or boosting up with more ornate accessories or something to kind of keep it a little more festive so it's not so casual. This is Full Body Frequency. I'm Laura Rice and she's Stephanie Allen, stylist extraordinaire.
to listen to all of her winter 2017 special occasion styling and fashion tips. Head over to SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, where you can listen to this show in its entirety. Now, Stephanie, you just mentioned heels and that you don't wear them, but there's nothing like a pair of luscious gams punctuated by a pair of high heels. However, how can we rock sexy shoes and have pain-free feet all night long? Or does it really matter as long as we look cute? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you must sacrifice. There's, there's no crying in fashion, they say. It is a personal choice. Like, I don't like feeling uncomfortable. So I'm not going to put myself in a position where I'm going to feel uncomfortable. And I'm not going to put myself in a position where I look awkward either. Because there's nothing worse than seeing someone that can't walk in their shoes. No matter how cute you are, it's not cute. It's not cute. (laughs) um, No, it's not. (laughs) It's not. Go for comfort. But if you're going to go for a higher heel, I say have a backup plan. And have, like, there's some brands that have, like, a little tote a dust bag that comes along with the shoes and then you can put your pair of flats or whatever in there if you need to switch it out really quick but keep the flats there with your outfit but there are some tips you can put shoe pads in the shoe to kind of add a little more cushion there are some half pads that you can put right under the ball of your feet to kind of help minimize some of the pressure heel grips are always helpful so that your feet aren't sliding in and out of the shoe And if you need to stretch out the shoe, one tip that I have, if the shoe is leather, you can squeeze in a little rubbing alcohol and douse it underneath, like inside the shoe, and kind of walk around in the shoe to stretch it out a little bit, and the shoe will take better form to your feet. Do that a couple of times before you actually wear the shoes out, and that can kind of give you a little more room, a little more flexibility in the shoe so it's not so tight on your feet. Now, if you're dancing all night, Kudos to you, but that won't that won't be me. That will not be me. <laughs> That's a really good tip. Uh, rubbing alcohol in the bottom of your shoe on the inside, inside like where your toes are, mm-hmm. um, and then kind of saturate it on the inside so that you're so you feel the moisture when you put your foot in. And the idea is to stretch it out a little bit. You can put on a, um, like a thicker sock too, just to kind of help the leather stretch and give a little bit. Do that a couple of times before you wear the shoes out for the evening, and that will give you centimeters in there and a little more wriggle room, and it'll help loosen the grip on your feet. It shouldn't change the integrity of the shoe, for sure, but um, but just to kind of add a little more space in there to give you a little more comfort. And sometimes a few centimeters is all you really need. Listen, listen. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I did wear my heels, that is one of the things I used to do, so... That's a great tip again. It's a really good one. It's really a challenge to find occasion-appropriate, fashionable, and warm-weather coats for plus-size bodies. Mm. For those of us in cold-weather climates, we're jumping in and out of ride shares, cabs, and using public transportation. But Mm -hmm. what does our special occasion outerwear game look like? I mean, they're puffer coats, faux, real fur, wool, mohair. What are some of the trends that you're seeing? Well, fur for sure. Um, I think, you know, a lot of girls are doing layering where they have the fur vest and maybe a leather jacket or a wool jacket underneath or a thicker sweater or something underneath when they're doing layering. And I think that's where, I mean, that's in the mainstream trend as well. And something that I've found is that a lot of brands are doing kind of oversized coats right now. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's there's a little wiggle room in there. Um, so it doesn't have to be so posh. Now, if you're going to the opera or something like that, I imagine you're going to have guaranteed transportation where you're just getting in the car, getting out of the car and going straight into the building. So <laughs> you, won't, you won't need to have the full brigade on, have gloves and all of that. I think layering is something that is really key right now. So I think that can kind of help to eliminate the, big, the need for the big puffer jacket. Before we go, what's your styling fantasy or clothing project? Oh, wow. That's a great question. My styling fantasy would, would be to do a really beautiful, high-end, high-fashion, haute couture photo shoot using all plus-size models where the girls are actually dressed and not just in lingerie or pieces of clothing, but like beautiful gowns or, you know, beautiful suiting, 
um, that and to have really, really crisp photography and lighting and beautiful hair and makeup. Like I would really love to see that something that you would see in Vogue or any international magazine where the full spread is just plus size models and they are in beautiful, beautiful couture clothing. That would okay. be my awesome styling fantasy. There we go. It's going to happen very soon. Yes. We are speaking into existence. Absolutely. And before we go, who is your Mm -hmm. style and or fashion spirit animal? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Wow. Never thought about that before. I guess in terms of elegance, probably a panther because it's black. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. No, I was like, that's it. I've never had that question before. That's awesome. Glad I asked. (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie Allen of Stephanie Allen LLC, thank you so much for being with Full Body Frequency today. Happy New Year and happy Valentine's Day. Thank you. Same to you and yours. Be safe. To learn more about Stephanie Allen and her styling services, visit stephanieallen.com. That's S-T-E-F-F-A-N-Y-A-L-L-E-N.com. Don't go away. Full Body Frequency returns after this break with critically acclaimed actress, author, and dramatist, Karen Chilton. She'll be here to talk about her upcoming participation in the Fire This Time Festival in New York City. Body Frequency is back. I'm Laura Rice. My guest this segment is New York City-based actress, author, dramatist, Karen Chilton. If you're a fan of music, in particular of women in jazz, then you know her work. Chilton is the author of two critically acclaimed books, I Wish You Love, chronicling the life of late vocalist Gloria Lynn, and Hazel Scott, the pioneering journey of a jazz pianist from Cafe Society to Hollywood to Hueck. Chilton has written and narrated a number of performance pieces, including Migration Rhapsody, which was presented in association with the Museum of Modern Art, MoMA, co-written by Terrence McKnight, and featured such artists and musicians as Bill T. Jones and Jason Moran. 
And she wrote the libretto and provided the narration for Damon Sneed's The Soul Now Sings, a musical Christmas journey which aired on New York City's public radio powerhouse, WNYC. The Soul Now Sings is bound to be a holiday classic. Karen's latest project, entitled Switch, which she wrote and performs in, will be featured in the highly anticipated The Fire This Time Festival, January 16th through February 5th in New York City. To quote novelist, playwright, poet, and social critic James Baldwin, there's something terribly radical about believing that one's own experience and images are important enough to speak about, much less to write about, and to perform. Karen Chilton, welcome to Full Body Frequency, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me, Laura. Oh, you're welcome. So 2015 was a big year for you. As I mentioned in the introduction, there was Migrant Rhapsody and The Soul Now Sings. And clearly 2016 was big because you're kicking off 2017 with a bang at the Fire This Time Festival. But before we talk about Switch, which is a massively incredible piece that you've written, who is Karen Chilton and what birthed your talent as an actor, author, and dramatist? Oh, dear. Okay, that's a huge huge question. See, this is why I write plays about therapy. Anyway, um, (laughs) which I've never been to, but maybe I should. I, I, I channel everything into the writing. I started writing a long, or really a long time ago. I've been writing so long that I can't remember not writing, honestly. I cannot remember not writing. Acting, I remember making that decision. I remember being fresh out of college in my 20s in Chicago and working different corporate jobs after getting my economics degree and knowing that I just wanted nothing to do with that world. Mm. And then I started working at the Goodman Theater, and I had many jobs at the Goodman, and the final job I had was as the producing director's assistant. And so in that journey, I knew it was sort of methodical and charted out and explored, and I thought, oh, my goodness, okay, acting, this is the thing. Writing, for me, has always been like breathing. I have been doing it for as long as I could put a pen in my hand and write. I mean, my parents have things that I wrote when I was, you know, I'm talking first, second grade, (laughs) always entering contests, always writing essays, just always the communicator. And it was something that I thought everybody did because I just always did it. I have two brothers, and they used to call me Gidget when I was (laughs) just taking us way back. But um, they used to call me Gidget when I was growing up because my thing was to go into my room shut the door, play my little record player, and write. And I just thought everybody was doing that. My mother had to yank me out of the room and say, all of your friends are outside jumping rope. You need to go outside. So she had to force me outside because I was always in my head. And I think that that's where these two careers have converged. This curiosity and this exploration of the interior life and what Mm. makes people tick. And I've never really seen it as having two careers. I've always always seen it as extensions of the same gift, and it is storytelling. Whether I'm telling it on the page or whether I'm telling it on the stage, it's all the same thing to me. Now, tell us about the festival and how you connected to it, and then your work, Switch, which is featured at the festival. The Fire This Time is a great theater festival off-Broadway here in New York, And it's always had a tremendous reputation. I've had playwright friends who have written for it. I have actor friends who have been in a lot of the series. And the producers, A.J. Muhammad specifically and Kevin R. Free, they would contact me almost every year and say, why don't you submit something? Why don't you submit something? And for whatever reason, I was either just busy or just sort of not in a writing space or I would have every intention on submitting a play and the deadline would pass and I'd go, oh, okay, I'll get them next year. This year, when AJ contacted me, he was like, I really love it. I'm like, okay, people don't always ask you 
to submit. I mean, the life of an artist, particularly an actor, you live your life auditioning for a job. So when people come to you with an offer, why don't you come and do this? It would behoove you to to say yes at some point. So I finally said yes, and that was last summer, I think, I started writing Switch. And I said, you know what, A.J. is so kind and he's so generous. He's always asking me to do this. This year I'm going to do it. I'm in a headspace where I can do it because I have been doing a lot of writing and I was just in that mode, and I said, I can do something. And it's a 10-minute play, which sounds like an easy thing, but it's actually, it's probably more challenging than even a full-length play. It, I compare it to writing a short story or writing a novel. Mm. The craft has to be there, but everything has to happen so much faster. And so the same challenges are there. You know, you don't get to skip any constructural rules of the game just because it's short it just has to happen that much faster so it really puts you to the test and i was up for it i said okay so i started thinking about some ideas this idea for switch came to me i wrote the piece in one day and i'm not even saying that to brag i'm just saying that's how sort of erratic my gift works some writers i know i wish i was this prolific I know writers who write every day, and it's like a religion. It's like, no, I don't go a day without writing. I'm not that writer. I'm the writer that walks down the street. I always have a pad and pencil with me because I get ideas, and I'm one of those writers that I'll see a painting or I'll see a tree or I'll have a conversation, and it sparks an idea, and then boom, and then it just all comes out at once. Mm. So I always sort of have to be ready for this emergence of this idea. So Switch... I decided I wanted to write, I knew I wanted it to be a two-person piece. I didn't want to take on the 10-minute play and have a ton of actors. I just, cause, and I love dialogue, and I, just, and I love language, and I thought it's nothing more challenging for actors to just be, it's like being in a, a boxing ring. Just you and me, there's no help, there's no, it's just us on this high wire. So I sort of approached it as an actor and thought, what would, it, what would be fun to perform, because the one thing I did decide is when I wrote this, I said, well, whatever I write, I'm going to write for myself. And I also had another friend of the wonderful, brilliant, fabulous actor, Maurice McCray, and I knew I wanted to be on stage with him. And I thought, you know what, I'm writing something for me and Maurice. I sat down, toyed with different premises. I operate from the premise that every good play needs a good premise. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what is this about? What is this? You know, what are we going to do? What are we gonna, what's going to make an interesting 10 minutes that can speak to people, that can provoke thought, get, that can be kind of uncomfortable? And I always say, you know, to my writer friends, we have this thing where we say, we know it's success if after people leave your play, people say, want to still talk about it, as opposed right. to leaving the theater and going, okay, so what do you want to eat? <laughs> you know, you want to go get a drink? You know, it's like they're, they're, they're over it. It's like if they're still talking about it as they leave the theater, then, then we've done our job. So Switch, I'm dealing with this premise, and here it is. The premise is dishonesty leads to exposure. That's the premise. Except with Switch, it's a little bit deeper because it's not dishonesty as in a theft or a lie. It's emotional dishonesty. Right. So it's emotional dishonesty leads to exposure. And so what you have is these two characters, Joan and Guy. They've been friends for 20 years. They went to med school together. They're both psychiatrists, both really successful. And on this particular day... Guy shows up for therapy to a doctor that he doesn't realize is Joan because they've been estranged for two years, and she's been married in that two years and changed her name. So he shows up to see Dr. Jaja, doesn't know it's her, and what he's showing up for therapy for is to discuss the suicide of their best friend. So there is a third character that that is being discussed, but who you never see. But this day of reckoning is the two of them having to deal with not only the suicide of their best friend, but to deal with the complexity of their own relationship and their estrangement. 
You're listening to Full Body Frequency, and I'm Laura Rice. Actor, author, and playwright Karen Chilton joins me this segment. We're speaking about Switch, her work, which is featured in the Fire This Time Festival, being held in New York City January 16th through February 5th. How much, of any, of Switch was taken from your own life experience? You just mentioned that you haven't done therapy. So is this based strictly on research or, or what? Well, it's not so much research. It's I think it's based on just the human experience. I think it is it is that uncomfortable space that many of us have, have found ourselves in, in relationships, in all kinds of relationships, brother, sister, you know, husband, wife, friends. And the setting is the psychiatrist's office, but the themes, I think, are universal. Mm-hmm. Because what they're, they're dealing with the suicide of their friend and all of the sadness and guilt around it, but what they're really getting to the meat of in this 10-minute play is their estrangement, why Guy walked away from the friendship, why Guy left Joan to deal with all of the logistics of Cat. that's the third character that you don't see, of her suicide, dealing with her family, her finances, her will, her estate, he walked out. And there is a line in the play where she says, when she died, I lost her and you that day. Mm. And so it's really, it's about this relationship between two friends. So even though I haven't done therapy, I've always been immensely curious about the interior life of human beings those emotional and psychological and sociological spaces that we move in every day, but particularly in the black community that we don't discuss. Right. And I think that because this friend died of, she was suicidal. She suffered from bipolar disorder. She had severe depression. And mental illness is not something that we discuss in the black community. This is not the first time that I've grappled this subject in a play. I have actually have a full-length play where the the lead character is a psychiatrist. And I guess I'm trying to say we all need our heads examined. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You're right about that. (laughs) But I'm just saying that, you know, there's so much pathology that, that we've carried through the generations, and there's so many emotions that we repress. And in this play, what I pose is two characters vastly different. Guy, the male character, supremely selfish, really narcissistic, wrapped up into his own needs, very self-absorbed. The other character, Joan, the female character, total opposite, nurturer, healer, puts everyone's needs before hers, represses all of her emotions, just presses it all down, doesn't deal with it, but is always there to to lend the helping hand, and so her needs never get met. So mm-hmm. you have these two polar opposite characters dealing with, why did you leave me? Why weren't you there for me? And it just becomes really interesting. And I must say that even though I wrote this, of course, the craft of being a writer is in many ways is the opposite of being an actor. The, the writer is closed off, very reclusive, you're in your head, you're in your space, there's no one around. The actor is, ta-da, you know, you're on the stage, it's big, it's full out, it's, everything's exposed. So to take this piece and then put it on the stage and be Joan has been such an amazing experience. It has been such a journey because I'm seeing so much subtext in this piece that I wasn't even aware of when I was mm. writing it. It's the mm-hmm. kind of excavation that you do as an actor. And me and Maurice are having, and the director, who's wonderful, Caesar Williams, we're just having this wonderful, wonderful experience dealing with this piece. And every time we rehearse it, something different comes out. Emotions come up from God knows where. So I say all that to answer your original question (laughs) that was this based on real life. I think that there are parts of both of these people that we all will recognize in ourselves. I think this experience of this particular relationship we have all had in some form or fashion. It may have been mother-daughter or father-son. or I think that we've all been in the place where we have either, A, taken advantage of a relationship, 
taken it for granted, really mm-hmm. benefited from it, been nurtured by it, but not been reciprocal. Right. Or we have been that nurturer, giver, healer, self-sacrificing soul that has given everything, not asked for anything in return, and suffered in silence and not loved ourselves enough to have our own needs met. Who takes care of the caretaker? That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that, and I think that black women in particular, we we all know that space. Right. We all know that space really well. So I'm loving that. This is a black man and a black woman. The guy character is also gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and there is a, without giving away the whole play, but there is um, a moment in the play where uh, Guy is exposed because we find out that he actually slept with Kat. You know, and because Kat was the needy, and this is what we talked about a lot in rehearsal, it was so fascinating, Kat was the woman who needed everything. She needed everything from Guy. She needed everything from Joan, and she got it. It was the squeaky wheel got the oil. Mm -hmm. And so Guy, you find out that a gay man, he slept with this woman. She was, you know, he has this line where he says she was prattling on about not being loved and needing comforting, and, and I just felt like I needed to comfort her. And then Joan's line back to him is, well, what about me? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. did, did either one of you ever love me? Like, you know, I've been Joan of Arc. I've been here helping both of you with everything, and they all went to med school together. But then I'm still the third wheel. I'm still the one that's not getting any of the nurturing. So it's um, it's been an, a really interesting exploration that, even though it's 10 minutes, I'm happy to say that it has a lot of depth and enough so that, Everybody in the rehearsals is like, are you going to expand this? You know, is this going to be a full-length play? Is this going to be a one-act? This will be a great film. And, you know, I don't know if I'm going to do any of that. I think, though, that I would like to make, if I had to choose, this is a piece I would like to make a short film. Only because I just think that it's the kind of short film that, you know, if it was a 13- or 15-minute film, it would be the kind of film that, Friends in the room watching, lovers in the room watching, parents and kids in the room watching. It would spark a conversation. Oh, and absolutely. That's, absolutely. That's part of why I write. I want that conversation. Like, I want to talk about stuff. You wrote it in a day, which is amazing in itself. The dialogue is so layered and rich with emotion. And you connect with the characters instantaneously. But I will say this. I don't ever have to sit two hours again to be enthralled and transformed by theater. So thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you. But the other thing is that it's just 600 seconds. How in the world does this happen? And I'm coming from the perspective that I've only read the script. I've not seen it acted out. So how it's, how much more powerful will it be on stage? I must say, I will say that what we have done in rehearsals has actually blown me away. Mm. It it really has. I've been at this game for so long. I've done all of it. I've done 10-minute play festivals before. I've done a million short films. I've done film. I've done TV. I've done full-length play. I've done all of it. But the 10-minute play is always a challenge because... There's a thing about pace. Like, you don't want to just speed through it. You know, you don't want to be a runaway train. So you still have to hit all of those beats so that the play lives and breathes and is elevated to the level that the playwright intends. And with Switch, Maurice, of course, is phenomenal. Caesar, our director, has been amazing. And what we've been doing in rehearsal each day, because we've been rehearsing every day for the last couple of weeks, because not only is it just a 10-minute play festival, the rehearsal is all intense. It's like going into a pressure cooker and seeing what happens. Everything's intense. It's six- and eight-hour days. This is my first day off in two weeks. Wow. Um, and I'm still talking about dealing with the play. I mean, I'm, I mean, even <laughs> before I was talking to you, I'm still, like, making sure I know my lines, because even though I wrote them, I'll, as an actor, all of that goes out the window. You know, the writer goes away. And so I've had to try to memorize my own lines, and 
and be on stage, you've got to turn that writer thing off because you'll find yourself editing or rewriting, like, oh, that doesn't work. And then you're not in the moment as an actor, and that's not fair to the other actor. Mm-hmm. But what, we have, what I've seen on stage has absolutely blown me away because the piece is so emotional. It's just so, it's so honest, and it lives up to the premise dishonesty leads to exposure and so what you find at the end of this piece by the time they go through all of this dialogue is two very raw completely exposed people who are basically just naked emotionally on the stage Mm. and it's heavy it has surprised us it surprised me I thought, oh, this would be fun. You know, this is banter. This is, but it's so much more than just banter. It's, it's every line is sort of loaded with all of this emotion. At least that was my goal: is to, it's power packed. So there are no throwaway lines. Every line has the weight of the twenty-year friendship and mm-hmm. the weight of the suicide in it. In six hundred seconds, it's amazing. Oh. It's amazing. Now, throughout the play, both characters reference song lyrics, and the title of your play references the action in the play. But there's also a music group named Switch. And given what transpired with a few of the group's members, and I suspect a few of them would have benefited from some psychiatric counseling by the doctors in your play, is this a coincidence or am I on to something? Oh, my God. This is a total coincidence because I completely (laughs) forgot. Mm, I, I know okay. I remember Switch. I, re- I had one of my favorite songs, like in high school or something, was from Switch. I completely forgot. I did not. That is the, that's new. I did. I can add that to the rehearsal now. But I completely <laughs> forgot. There's transitional music between each piece, and each playwright was asked to bring the music that they thought would best fit their piece. And the music that I selected for Switch was that was then. This is now. Mm-hmm. by Layla Hathaway. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful and, song. And um, it just has this groove and this mood and this, and then the lyrics just fit without being too literal. I just love music so much. There's always some reference to music in my work. My full-length play, Convergence, the male lead character is a jazz pianist. So when that play finally gets produced somewhere... God willing, there will be a piano on stage and there will be incidental music that's part of it. I can't really separate my writing from music for whatever reason. Well, I know some of the reasons, but it's just an integral part of who I am, and I'm always very inspired by music. Music often leads the way for me to what I write. Guy has a tendency to ramble on and on and on, and then he starts going off into song lyrics. And she's like, okay, so here you go again. Does anybody hear a song coming on? Like, here here you go. Because he doesn't want to deal with his emotions. That's his whole thing. Like, I'm not dealing with this. I'm just going to repress this. I'm pushing this back. I'm not dealing with it. When he tries, it comes out sounding like a song. That character. Yeah, we all know a guy, I think. I think we all know a guy. We all know a guy. We may have all been been guy at some point or another, but we definitely all know a guy. (laughs) We know a guy named Guy. We know a guy named Guy. (laughs) Well, this is Laura Rice. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Full Body Frequency. My guest this segment is triple threat actor, author, and dramatist Karen Chilton. Her latest work, Switch, is featured in the Fire This Time Festival in New York City, January 16th through February 5th. The Fire This Time Festival explores the possibilities in Black theater and offers early career playwrights of African and African-American descent the opportunity to write and produce material that reflects diverse perspectives as 21st century theater artists. So before I forget, you're also featured in two other plays in the festival, Mm -hmm. Love and Happiness, Ada's Story by Frederica Bailey, and Waiting for Virginia Woolf by Michelle Johnson. So tell us about those. Ada's story is set in 1939, and her theme, she's dealing with illegal abortion. Mm. I play a woman who's 40 years old, but she's dating this younger man, and she finds herself pregnant. And, you know, the younger man is head over heels, but she's not sure that she wants a child. She's toying with the idea that she's going to go 
and have an illegal abortion. It's set in the Deep South in 1939. It starts off in a juke joint. It's a familiar setting, but Mm -hmm. it's a very uncomfortable and, I think, important subject for women and for that time period. And she deals with it in a really lovely, very subtle way. What about Waiting for Virginia Woolf? Waiting for Virginia Woolf is just madcap, and it's <laughs> satire. It's a bit of an homage to the, the Albee play, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Mm-hmm. So Waiting for Virginia Woolf, she's dealing with class in the black community. The Martha and George characters are now Portia and Martin, Mm -hmm. And they are a well-to-do black couple, and it's set in their living room. Portia loves the brown liquor, and and Martin is a professor who is pending tenure. It's that sitting room drama, all in one living room, all in one night, where one couple, the younger couple, is real, for lack of a better term, kind of round the way, kind of rough around the edges, And then Martin and Portia are very bourgeois and very well-heeled. And then this repartee that happens between all four until they realize the whole night has just been a ruse. And what character do you play? (laughs) I'm Portia. Uh (laughs) You like the brown liquor, huh? (laughs) I do. I like the brown liquor. It's so much fun because I think this is as close as I would ever get to being cast in the Albee play, which... I don't know. I I can only speak for myself, but Mm -hmm. I am a huge Edward Albee fan, and I always love the idea of what would it look like if we're going to have black versions of things, which typically kind of sets my teeth on edge. But Mm -hmm. if I had to pick a play where, as an actor, a character that I would love to portray, it would be the Martha character in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yeah, okay. I mean, it's classic. Get to chew the scenery. It's You're drunk, and there's no end to the madness. <laughs> there's some wonderful work, and some wonderful work by some young playwrights. I chose the right year. That's all I can say. I mean, they've been asking me for years, and I'm like, oh, I hit the jackpot. <laughs> this is some really, really nice work that's going on, some wonderful writing and some wonderful acting. And as I've mentioned, Caesar Williams, our director, is, I don't even know how he's got his head in all these seven plays, but he's done an amazing job. That's amazing. Seven plays? Seven, ten-minute plays. A lot. It's no joke. (laughs) It's obvious that the Fire This Time Festival is energized in many ways by James Baldwin and his novel, The Fire Next Time, which examines race and religion in this country. How has Baldwin's body of work captured your imagination and influenced you as a Black American writer, performer, and world traveler? Oh, my God. That's like... That's an hour-long show. I swear, (laughs) I could go on about Baldwin. Of all of the writers, present, past, future, James Baldwin, for me, I would have to put at the very top of my list of novelists who I absolutely bow down. I've read every book, every poem, every essay, every short story. There is not any work of his that was published and available that I do not own. It's his command of the language. Before we even get into his themes, the subject matter, the beauty, what he could do with a phrase, how he could turn a phrase was so gorgeous. You know, there are passages in his books that I would read them out loud because I couldn't believe, I'm like, how in the world did he take something that we use every day, the English language, and turn it into something this fierce? I bow down to him. He is one of my personal heroes, and I think of him as the ancestor that moves me through this work. Karen Chilton, Actress, author, and dramatist, thank you so much for stopping by Full Body Frequency today. Thank you, Laura. This is a pleasure. Oh, my goodness. So for more information on Karen Chilton, visit karen-chilton.com. For more information on the Fire This Time Festival, again, happening January 16th through February 5th in New York City, visit firethistimefestival.com. 
After this quick break, Full Body Frequency will be back with this week's Plus One. Hey everybody, Rachel Ray here. Nothing brings a bigger smile to my face than cooking up a big meal for the whole family and lots of friends. But there's not enough room at my table for the 17 million kids in our country who struggle with hunger. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food to give hope to hungry kids. But they can't do it without your help. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Full Body Frequency is back, and this week's Plus One comes from prolific novelist, poet, playwright, and social critic James Baldwin. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Until next time, tune into your own Full Body Frequency, where large is luscious living. 